the scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It can be found on page 809 of the Blue Pew Bibles. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. God. You may be seated. Well, we've come this week to the end of the beginning, I guess. Uh, We're spending this whole spring, winter and spring, in the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And and we've begun um, with uh, what, what might be the one of the most famous passages in all of Jesus' teaching, these Beatitudes. And this week, uh, we come to the last uh, three verses, verses 10 through 12 is where we'll be focusing our attention together today. So before we come to those verses, um, would you bow your heads and hearts and let's pray together. Great God Almighty, you are the Lord, full of grace and mercy and abounding in steadfast love. You alone are holy. You alone are worthy of our worship. Forgive us, Lord, for the worship that we offer uh, to other gods, uh, to other things and and pursuits and people um, that we think will bring us full satisfaction uh, when, in fact, uh, their only goodness, all of their goodness is in the ways that they point beyond themselves to you who made them all. Thank you that you have forgiven us. Thank you that we have already heard in this place minutes ago of the satisfaction for our sins uh, that Jesus made for us on the cross, of the righteousness uh, that he gives to us, which means that we can stand before you now with confidence, uh, with boldness, with expectation uh, that you are for us, that you desire our good, and that your word to us is good as we come before it and beneath it. Father, I thank you for the way that Bryce led us in prayer moments ago. Um, Out of that psalm, I thank you that he has already um, led us before you to pray uh, for conflicts near and far uh, in Newton and in Ukraine and in in Gaza. Um, Father, we are a a, a people here, there are children uh, in the schools in Newton, there are parents. Um, we have staff at schools in Newton, and we are all members of each other. We are all given to each other. And so you have put your people, all of us, you have put us uh, into the middle of that conflict uh, that's dividing our city. And, and as we come to a passage that speaks of the blessedness of being a peacemaker and of the persecution that attaches to that, Um, that is a good place for us to be as we lift this conflict up to you and say, please bring peace and please give your people 
uh, who were in the middle of that conflict, wisdom, uh, words of peace, uh, acts of charity and kindness, um, opportunities to sit uh, and to listen, to mourn, um, and to pray, maybe more than anything else, to pray with and for uh, all those who are caught up in this. Um, Father, we thank you for our city. We thank you that you have put us here. We thank you that you have uh, provided us with this place uh, to worship um, here at St. Mary's uh, for over a decade now. Um, We are constantly asking um, why you have us here, uh, what it is that you're calling us to. Um, But even as we uh, listen uh, for you, each of us and and all of us together uh, to lead us and to guide us, uh, we give you thanks uh, that you have gone before us, that you love this city more than we do, that you love our workplaces, uh, our schools, our neighborhoods uh, more than we do. Um, Father, you know each person in this room, and you know uh, what we all bring uh, into this place as we come before your word. You know uh, the triumphs and the burdens of the week that has passed, Uh, you know the excitement and the anxiety with which we consider the week uh, that's in front of us. And so we thank you for this time um, that you have designated here at the beginning of the week for us to rest fully in you, uh, to be reminded of who we are as we are reminded again and again of who you are, of your character, of your love, of your power. We pray um, that you would remind us of those things Um, even in these next minutes that we're together. Lord God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said, we are coming now to the end of the Beatitudes. We've been in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Uh, For the last few weeks, this week, we're focusing uh, specifically on chapters 10 uh, through 12. Um, As we said when we started this this series, um, if you want to know who Jesus is, if you want to know what he thinks, if you want to know what he cares about, the Sermon on the Mount might be the best place uh, to go. Um, We saw as we began this that Matthew tells us that right at the beginning of his ministry, Uh, Matthew sums up basically all of Jesus' ministry by saying in chapter 4 that Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you ask, what does that look like? What does it mean to repent and to live a life fit for the kingdom that is at hand? The Sermon on the Mount is your answer. And it begins with these beatitudes, um, these, these, these famous blesseds, right? as Jesus describes the people who inhabit this kingdom um, and does it in the most counterintuitive way possible. We have, we have already heard, um, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the mourn, uh, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, um, and, and so on. Um, we come now to maybe the most counterintuitive verses of all. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I don't know how many of you took my advice 
uh, a few weeks back. I'll, I'll, I'll keep saying this. Um, if you want to dive even deeper uh, into the Sermon on the Mount, uh, not just uh, for the next few months, but for this whole year, the Bible Project is spending their entire year um, in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, given that they're going for a whole year, and if you, if, you, if you know what the folks at the Bible Project are like, it won't surprise you to know that they did an entire episode just on the one word, blessed, uh, and then promise that they'll start moving faster. Um, but they did an entire episode on just like, what does it mean uh, when Jesus says, blessed um, are, are these folks? And the thing I think is important for us to know um, is that um, what Jesus is saying about these folks is not that they are going to be blessed. He does talk about what is going to happen to them, right? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Um, there's a lot of they shall be, this will happen to them in the future. But when he says blessed are the poor in spirit and those who mourn, that is a present tense reality. Jesus is saying, these folks are living the good life. This is part of the upside-down nature of his message, that those who seem to be in the, on the bottom, those who seem to be in misery, are in fact living the good life, that they are in fact to be envied, that this is what you want to look like. Um, this is kind of the, in the nature of the hope to which we cling, this, this already but not yet hope. Um, that on the one hand, we're waiting for the fulfillment of all things, we're waiting for Jesus to come again and to make all things right, but at the same time, that hope ought to be working its way backwards into our present and impacting who we are right now. We're spending this whole year um, both in the Sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, but also in Adult Ed, talking about the theme of transformation and sanctification. And I think one of the biggest challenges for us as we think about that theme is the question of do we actually expect to see change in our lives now? Not just in the future, not just that one day God will make all things, including our own hearts, right, but do we actually expect to see ourselves change now, uh, today, even in the midst of this sermon, do you expect the Holy Spirit to show up and to work on your heart, even in the next 15 minutes? Well, that's what we're paying attention to um, as we dive uh, into this. Um, let me remind you just of how the, the Beatitudes kind of work together as we, as we come to the end of them. Um, as Bradley said last week, the first three of them are kind of pertaining to the internal disposition of, of the person who's, who's living in the, in the kingdom of heaven. Um, and then, um, in verse 7, it transitions from things that are more kind of internal disposition into relationships, right? So, blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Um, as Bradley said last week, those things all kind of assume that there's somebody else that you're engaged with, somebody you're merciful to, somebody you're making peace with. Um, and you can see how the one builds into the next. The internal disposition is necessary for these kinds of relationships. Um, and now, in a sense, um, we come to the description of what will be done to those who are in the kingdom of heaven. 
um, those who have this internal disposition, those who pursue these kinds of relationships, um, will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. And Jesus says um, that this is a blessing, uh, that, this is, that this is a good thing. Um, what we are going to talk about, uh, I want us to, to, to talk about three things as we look at these verses. First of all, I want us to understand what Jesus is talking about. So I want us to understand persecution. Um, the next thing I want us to talk about is expecting persecution. And then the last thing is going to be, what is our consolation? Jesus tells us to rejoice in the midst of persecution. So what is our consolation? Where does that joy come from? Um, by the way, I just want to mention, Jess has been doing great work uh, in, our, in our order of service. Um, you, some of you uh, may not have, have looked at, at this page. It's on page 14 this week. Um, that has the, the, the bit for the kids. I know the kids look at this every week. I know that because after this sermon, I will be mobbed um, by a group of children showing me their notes uh, so they can get their hands in a blow pop from downstairs. Um, if you're an adult, you might not have seen this, but one thing that we've added to this is a little outline of, of the sermon. Um, kids, you might find this helpful um, in following. Uh, adults, you might find this helpful in following. Uh, I, as the preacher, might find it helpful uh, to be asked at some point in the week, what is the outline of your sermon? And it's like, oh, I, I need one of those, don't I? Um, so check this out. As I say, we're looking at understanding persecution, expecting persecution, and consolation in persecution. So first of all, understanding it. What, what is Jesus talking about? Um, the forms of persecution that he calls out um, are all kind of verbal in nature. When he says, blessed are you when others revile you, um, that's a word that shows up translated elsewhere as reproach, rebuke. It's all kind of verbal, people speaking against you. Um, and of course, utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, um, also sort of a verbal uh, form of, um, of persecution. But then he says, and this is maybe the more important part, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. What does he mean by that? We have been saying that, that in the Sermon on the Mount, righteousness um, is understood as right relationship. Right relationship between us and God, right relationship um, between, between people. Um, so one reason that um, righteousness would draw persecution is that pursuing right relationships between people um, means putting some constraints on those relationships. There are ways that we should be related to each other um, and ways that we shouldn't. Um, but maybe, maybe it, it occurred to me this week um, that maybe the best way to understand this is just to go right from what preceded this uh, in in the sermon where Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, we said last week that is one of the key um, parts of pursuing right relationship, that we would step out even into situations where we don't have a stake ourselves and we would work to bring peace. And here Jesus is telling us, as you do that, understand 
that will draw opposition. That will draw persecution. We had an example of this um, just this week, or we have an example. Um, Tuesday evening, we had the opportunity to pray um, with Mita. Um, Mita works at the Anger School. Uh, she works in a kindergarten class with kids, mostly with special needs. Um, and so she's in the middle of this strike um, taking place uh, in, in Newton. Um, and one of the things that we, we prayed about, one of the things that she told us was going on was that um, as she is there with friends, with colleagues, with parents, you know, with, with, with people uh, who are being torn apart by this really divisive conflict, um, they want her to take a side. And, and, and not just her, they, they also know that she's married to Bradley, um, and they want the church to take a side. Uh, and they want to know, why isn't the church taking a side? Why aren't you jumping into this? Um, and it's drawing opposition. Um, does, that, does that quite fall into the category of persecution? I don't know. Um, it's painful. Um, it's something that we needed to pray for. Um, for her and for all of us, for everyone in Newton uh, and for everyone in this, in this church, um, that we would be enter, able to enter into situations like that and others, actually seeking peace and not always taking the easy path of just joining one side or the other. Um, I think if you're a young person in this room, this is probably hardest of all for you because... Um, I've seen what this looks like on social media. You guys by now have, have all heard the cliche, silence is violence, right? Now, there is a time and a place to stand up and to speak for justice. Um, but maybe it's not always immediately after you see the first post on Facebook or on Twitter. And, and, and maybe the ways that we need to speak are quieter and are behind the scenes and involve sitting down with people and listening and, and not just taking the easy route of joining one side or the other and joining in with the finger pointing. Um, and I think that what we know is that when we don't join in on one side or the other, that draws opposition. Um, the world does not like it when people try to make peace um, in complicated situations rather than join uh, one side or the other. Um, that is one way to understand what Jesus means, uh, that we will be persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of pursuing right relationships. Um, I, I think it's important that we be clear uh, that when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, he's, he's, he's also saying uh, it's, it's not the case that you're blessed for being persecuted for just any reason. He's not saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted for being a jerk, uh, for being offensive, uh, for being pushy, for being ignorant. Um, Peter says something similar to this in, in his letter, 1 Peter 4, um, at verse 13. Uh, he says, similar to what Jesus says here, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is, is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Maybe this goes without saying, um, and we've, we've said this before, um, but no one's saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted for being a knucklehead. Um, you need to stop being a knucklehead. But there is a category of being persecuted uh, for the sake of righteousness. So to sum this up, understanding persecution, what is Jesus talking about? Um, we're not talking about seeking persecution out. Jesus does not say, go try to be persecuted. But he does say that it is a blessing when we suffer in the course of living the kind of life described in the Beatitudes, including seeking to make peace, including being driven by a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for right relationships. And notice, moving to our second point, that Jesus says, blessed are you when others revile you. He doesn't say if. Uh, he says when. Um, this is to be expected. That's the second point, expecting persecution. Um, let me ask you a real question here. Um, we, 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 we talk about persecution enough that this might kind of roll past you, but honestly, what do you actually expect out of life as a Christian? This is actually a hard question for me. Um, some of you guys know that when I'm not here with, with CTK Newton, um, my other work is, at, is as a chaplain at MIT. And I work with mostly Christian faculty and staff, but I do a lot of things with non-Christians. And if I ask myself, what do I expect as I enter into that space and, and interface with people, uh, many of whom believe and many of whom don't, um, what do I actually expect? And if I'm honest, I kind of expect him to like me. Kind of expect him to think, what a nice guy. Um, what Jesus is saying here convicts me in that. He says, I, I have got my expectations set wrong. Um, hopefully they'll like me some of the time, but for me to expect that all the time um, seems to run aground against what Jesus is saying here. Um, Jesus himself was hated because there was something in him that would not let the world off the hook in its rebellion. He, he didn't go around pointing out that the world was just kind of getting it wrong and a little bit ignorant. He said, you're in rebellion and you need to turn around. That's what repent means. You need to turn around because there's a kingdom coming and you're going the wrong way. He loved the world too much not to expose its darkness. What, one of those MIT profs that I work with, uh, who, who is a Christian, um, has, has said it this way. I've heard him say this in interviews and, and, and talks. Um, he, he says, look, if you're not suffering, that's probably a sign that you're not in the battle. Uh, devil's not worried about you. He can leave you alone. And, and it might be a question, like, am I actually faithfully following God where he wants me uh, to go? I know that this is tough. Um, I remember um, 
a few weeks ago, um, Brian Loney, pastor at uh, Parkway Press, he came and, and preached. And I remember when he was first here, when he was first planting um, Parkway, um, he, he would go to these um, kind of neighborhood fairs, you know, festivals held in Roslindale and kind of set up the booth uh, for what was at the time called Christ the King Roslindale. Um, and they had like, you know, baked goods and little brochures and they're trying to, you know, welcome people. Um, and, and time and time again, somebody would walk up to that booth and pick up the brochure and look at it. And question number one was, so what's your stance on marriage? What's your stance on gay marriage? And there would be no question two. That would be the conversation. Brian would answer the question, the person would nod their head, put the thing down, and walk away. Um, it was depressing. It was really, really hard. Um, and, and again, the pressure that I think some of you younger ones are under, um, as you navigate this world, uh, is, is harder than what some of the adults are facing. Jesus told us to expect this. In John 15, I looked this up. We were in this passage almost exactly a year ago when we were preaching through John. Jesus said if, to his disciples, he said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Um, I may be quoting more other passages in scripture today than I, than I often do, um, and, and, I've, and I've got a few more, but one of the reasons I'm doing that is because I, I want us to see how consistent this message is. Um, almost Every book of the New Testament mentions persecution. It's just expected. Um, and again, that is convicting for me because I don't think that's a thing that I expect when I walk out the door each morning. Um, I gave you a quote on the front of your bulletin from a pastor uh, at Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, um, who, as the quote says, he's been under house arrest, excuse me, not house arrest, he's been under arrest in state custody um, for over five years now. Uh, that quote, he has had no communication. That quote came from a sermon he preached in May of 2018. And in that same sermon, it was a sermon about Revelation 6, you know, looking to the end times and, and, and seeing the martyrs gathered around the throne. That was his text for this sermon. And he just talked about how suffering even martyrdom is not something that's exceptional or out of the ordinary for the church. What he said in that sermon, he said, for the churches of all ages and over all the earth, martyrdom is widespread and continuous. Even a glorious inheritance and cycle, not accidental, not exceptional, not temporary. Um, let that sink in for a second. Um, he says not temporary. Now, he's not saying that there will never be an end to suffering. The, the text of the sermon was Revelation 6. Um, the quote that I gave you talks about longing for the end times. There will be an end. Um, Jesus is coming to put things right. But before that happens, on this side, um, what he's saying there is suffering is not a season. 
that we go through for a while. Um, but it is something that describes the ordinary life of the one who's trying to live according to these Beatitudes and trying to follow Jesus. And yet, although we are called to a life and not a season of suffering, we are also called to a life of joy, of incomparable joy. Even here in this passage, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. And so the last thing that I want to talk about today is, is that joy. What is our consolation? What is the joy that we look to, even as we're suffering persecution? Um, and notice that it's not just what Jesus is talking about here. is not just kind of keeping your composure, not just refraining from retaliating. He's going to talk soon about loving our, our enemies uh, and about forgiveness. But here he actually calls us to have joy. Um, David Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, preacher who wrote a great study in the Sermon on the Mount, points out that that is not something that comes naturally. It's not something that the natural man can do to have joy. Uh, if this is going to happen, it's a gift of grace. Um, it is a gift whereby, whereby we become more like Jesus, who, Hebrews says, endured the cross for the joy set before him. So in asking where is our joy, let me, let me first point out two places where we're not supposed to find our joy in the midst of persecution. One um, is in vindictiveness, is in revenge, is in exercising power. Um, over those who persecute us. As I said, um, Jesus is going to talk about loving our enemies. But the other, and this, this one might actually be the more relevant one and the harder one for us, is that we're not supposed to find our joy, our joy merely in kind of the self-righteous comfort of being the biggest victim. Um, that, that's probably the one that's more tempting for us in our day and age. Um, to think that being persecuted makes us superior, better than those who aren't suffering. Um, that's just the same thing as the Pharisee standing next to the tax collector and thanking God, thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. That's, that's just self-righteousness. Um, our joy isn't in getting even, and our joy isn't in self-righteousness because... If our heart looks like Jesus, then our hearts are breaking for those who sin against us. They're breaking for the ones who are persecuting us. So where instead does Jesus point us for our joy? Well, he does it twice, actually, in these Beatitudes. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven forms the bookends to the Beatitudes. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And again, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is calling us to is, is again, what the writer of Hebrews talks about. After that, um, actually, it's in the middle, in the middle of sort of the, the hall of faith, chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, listing all of these faithful saints who, who went before us, many of whom suffered, many of whom were martyrs. What he says about them at verse 16, he says, They desired a better country, 
That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. One of the things that we can rejoice in in the midst of suffering is that suffering means we don't belong here. But if we don't belong here, it's because we belong somewhere else. Our citizenship is not in this world, in this kingdom. Suffering is the world telling us you don't belong. But that tells us that we do belong. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Look back at at what Jesus said in, in John 15. I read this earlier. One of the things that he said to his disciples, he says, Uh, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What he's saying here is that our citizenship and our loyalties and our worship are directed at the city of God and at God himself. And in this, more and more, We're bearing Jesus' image. We're more and more conformed to who he was. And so we rejoice. We rejoice that we're being fit for heaven by being made more and more to fit the king of heaven, being identified with Christ in his sufferings. One more quote. Actually, I might have more than one. Here's another quote from Colossians. Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Above all, our joy is in the one who goes before us, in the one who lived perfectly this life, the one who is not merely a citizen of heaven, but who is the king of heaven. Jesus says, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And they also persecuted the prophet, the great prophet, the one who was actually speaking uh, these words uh, to them. The New Testament reminds us again and again that what we suffer in this life is nothing compared to what Jesus suffered for us. But also, it reminds us that the rewards that this world has to offer, what we stand to lose in suffering, are nothing compared to what we gain. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, says, This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, David Martin Lloyd-Jones had a great illustration of this. It'd be like you got a letter in the mail that says you've inherited a million dollars. We need you to fill out this form and send it back, and we can send you your million dollars, right? And you you look at the envelope that they provided for you, and it it doesn't have the little no postage necessary, and so you realize you're going to have to put your own stamp on that. And and David Martin Lloyd-Jones said, to hang on to the rewards that this world has to offer and not be willing to part with them in exchange for heaven would be like saying, I can't send this letter back at the cost of a 40-cent stamp or whatever stamp. I don't know what a stamp costs anymore. They have forever stamps, so I don't know. 
But to hold on to, I can't part with a few cents in exchange for a million dollars would make as much sense as being unwilling to suffer for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, for the sake of righteousness. Jesus has chosen us out of this world because, as he says, his kingdom is not of this world. The cross proves it. The cross proves that he didn't belong to this world. It proves that his kingdom was not of this world because this world thoroughly rejected him. But the resurrection, much more gloriously, much more importantly, the resurrection proves that he is king over the whole world. That he is king over the world of sin and death, which he has defeated. And one day will put all to rights. Last quote, Hebrews 13. This is our call to us as we come to this table. Hebrews 13, 12 to 14 says, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. Let's pray.